0: Hey everyone. My name is Eric Reno and this is part 2 of the Nerelox presents Your Stories podcast for August 2013 featuring stories on the theme of games. To match the theme, we took our show on the road, recording these episodes at Chicago's excellent Cat and Mouse game store, 2212 West Armitage in Bucktown. Thanks again to the wonderful management and staff of Cat and Mouse for accommodating us. This time, you'll hear some great tales from folks like Claire Friedman, Nate Bechtel, Lauren Rodriguez, Kyle Talley, Sawyer Heppies, Marnie Thompson, and Sarah Schieber, as well as music from Sarah, Claire, myself, and Dwight Hassler. As you can tell, this is a pretty loaded episode. Uh, Our next Your Stories recording will take place on Sunday, August 18th at our usual digs of the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street at 7pm. This is a pretty special show, since it's the last Your Stories that Interlogs member Alex Talavera gets to attend before he packs his bags and heads off to Colorado. Uh, if you've listened to the show for a while, you know how great Alex is and how much we all love him, so we thought it would be appropriate to let him pick the theme for his last show. He has chosen Best Laid Plans. So if that makes you think of anything, feel free to come share it at the Public House Theater, or just come listen to other people share. Uh, As always, your stories is free to attend, and before the show there will be a special potluck dinner to send Alex off. Finally, if we have any friends in the Pacific Northwest, or anyone who will be there for PAX, the Nerdlogs are once again teaming up with the creators of Cards Against Humanity for a hilarious improv show as part of the weekend. They'll be performing at Seattle's Triple Door on Sunday, September 1st at 6.30 Pacific Time tickets are $15 and will likely go fast. Remember, this show sold out I.O. like two or three times. Uh, This is going to be fun, so if you're out there, come say hi. And that's all the business I've got for today, except for the usual reminder that if you like what we do, you can help support the show by donating a few bucks to us via PayPal. There's a button on the side of our homepage to do just that, so just visit yourstories.podbean.com to help out. Thanks for your time and support, and please enjoy the show.
1: Um, I'm Claire, uh, I'm very very excited tonight because one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, Kathleen Westgard, is here, uh, and all the way from Minnesota with her family, and, um, she, uh, was my high school storytelling coach, as well as, uh, the founder and runner of, uh, Drama Camp, which I both went to and was a counselor at for a long time, so this is a song that uh, is, has, has very conveniently gotten popular because uh, it's based on a game that I learned at drama camp. <laughs> um, so I'm going to do that today in uh, Tribute to this. I got a ticket for the long way round, two bottle of whiskey for the way. And I sure could use some sweet company And I'm leaving tomorrow, what do you say? When I'm gone When I'm gone You're gonna miss me when I'm gone You're gonna miss me by my hair You're gonna miss me everywhere, oh gonna miss me when I'm gone When I'm gone When I'm gone You're gonna miss me when I'm gone You're gonna miss me by my walk You're gonna miss me by my taco you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. <laughs> I got my ticket for the long way round, the one with the prettiest of you. This got mountains, this got rivers, this got sights to give you shivers. But I sure would be prettier with you when I'm gone. When I'm gone.
0: out the night. All right, now let's bring Claire back, member of the Nerdalog. She's going to tell a story. No pressure, Claire. Your coach is just here. That's fine.
1: Yeah, I know she's here. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to co- tell a, a shorter little story. Um, I'm going to sit in this chair to do it. Um, oh, and because you're here, this is my diagram that <laughs> I make for everything I ever tell. fact. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, in 2009, I was at my second summer in a row of an internship I didn't particularly care for or uh, work particularly hard at, which resulted in me reading a lot of blogs and being a uh, heavy commenter on several of those blogs. Uh, yes. And uh, my, one, of my, one of my favorite go-tos, and still to this day is, is the Freakonomics blog run by Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dubner both of whom accidentally have given me their private email addresses. (laughs) If you ever need it. Um, I'm very proud. So that was also, as you may remember, wait, yes. Um, So this was uh, the same summer that Dark Knight came out. Now I feel like I'm off.
0: That was 08.
1: That was 08, yeah. So whatever, still the same internship. Did it for two years. Um, Still didn't care. Uh, So 2008, I'm reading this blog. And... uh, they uh you know bring up a point about oh you know the fairy divergence at the end of dark night is very similar to the prisoner's dilemma and and wrote kind of a sh- someone wrote a short post on that and i was looking at that and i spent about the next half hour crafting a post responding to that <laughs> because they weren't quite right because the incentives economic word Uh, The incentives were a little bit off, because the incentives of the Joker are different from the incentives of a moralistic policeman. So I will read you now my comment. (laughs) (laughs) It's still there if you want to see it. Uh, From an economic standpoint, this is what the Joker has to gain. 1. If the civilians blow up the prisoners, then Joker wins. 2. If the prisoners blow up the civilians, no point is proven because that's what they are expected to do. Three, if the civilians blow themselves up, no point is proven because it looks like the prisoners did it based on the assumptions that the Joker has offered to the public at large. Four, if the prisoners blow themselves up, the Joker wins because it looks like the civilians did it given the assumptions the Joker has given to the public at large. Five, if neither blows each other up, the Joker loses, but will kill everyone anyway, proving his own point. And possibly leading the public to believe that they blew each other up, Thus, the Joker wins. Therefore, in theory, the Joker should have rigged both detonators to the prisoner's boat so that the prisoners would have blown up whether they hit the trigger or the civilians hit the trigger, and the Joker's point would have been proven most effectively given that the public at large would not have been able to interview him and say, okay, now what did you do here? Let's let's investigate the situation. So that's what he should have done. So in theory, that's how I like to view the movie, is that he was trying to get the uh, prisoners to blow up no matter what. Uh, because that would be the economically wise thing to do. So the reason I like this story in particular is um, I finished posting that comment, signed it clear, posted it, went back to stuffing envelopes or whatever I was doing, and I get a call from an international number. And I'm like, I, what is this? And I answer, and I say, hello, and it's my brother in London. He had, a, he had an internship in London for the summer. And he goes, hey, uh, what are you doing? I'm, I'm like, I'm at work. What do you think I'm doing? And he's like, oh, okay, okay. Uh, do you read the Freakonomics blog? And I was like, yes, I do. Uh, he's like, oh, oh, okay. Did you just post a comment about, uh, Batman? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did. He was like, oh, I thought that was you. <laughs> All right, talk to you later. <laughs> up, And that's how my brother and I communicate.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Claire. We should just do an episode about the Joker. I have a lot to say about the Joker in Dark Knight. Like, a lot. Uh, Anyway, someone uh, coming up next probably also has a lot to say about the Joker, but I doubt that's what his story is about. Mr. Nate Bechtel, everybody. Uh, Nate, are you talking about the Joker? No, I'm not. Can we talk about the Joker later?
2: Yes. Great, all right. (laughs) We normally do. Take it away. (laughs) Um, Alright, uh, my piece is I thought I'd do uh, something called How Games Ruin My Ability to Talk to Girls. <laughs> Colin, not how you would think. <laughs> um, so, like many uh, young men of this generation, I, as a little kid, spent a large amount of time playing games like The Legend of Zelda where you'd be this nice, heroic figure You go through dungeons, you fight monsters, and at the end of the game, you save a princess, and that's the end of the day. And I believe that has royally screwed up uh, a large amount of people's ability to talk to women because we grow up thinking that we have done something really good, that we're the nice guy, and at the end, we should get the girl. And because they're now children, that's expletive. (laughs) Uh, I have two very, very strong-willed sisters who have led me to believe this, normally through fists. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) They're strong. They're so strong. (laughs) But uh, it came through a large observation through a lot of friends I had in high school. I had a large degree of friends who would say, I'm such a nice guy. I did such a nice thing why doesn't this girl like me when she has such a jerk boyfriend? And my response would normally be, you mean the really sexy guy who has chemistry with her and is in a band? Oh, I have no idea why she likes him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it got to a head when I had a friend who, uh, he bought a, pair, a girl a pair of earrings and then said, well, why won't she go out with me? And at that point I was like, so you're saying she's a date vending machine that you put in money and then you get back. And they, well, no, no, I did this because I wanted to be nice. Well, at that point, you should be nice to be nice. I mean, the lesson from those games should be you should be the nice guy and you should be the hero because look at all the horrible suffering and it's kind of cool to tackle a dragon, not in the end you get a princess. (laughs) And I think that when I was spending a lot of time fighting this problem and arguing with my friends, I was suffering from the opposite problem the different head of that same coin i would always think that the reason why the hero got the girl in the end is because they were just a good guy they were and obviously really super powerful heroic had a sword and could use it they were way cooler than ted the farmer (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, and that's what i would lock in i would always think the hero gets the girl because the hero is awesome and when i looked in the mirror i never saw the hero i always saw myself as ted the farmer who's a really nice guy and you should trust me he's interesting to talk to (laughs) um and it's just one of those problems i had growing up is that i i consider myself extremely lucky that i routinely surround myself with very talented friends very brilliant people And i believe that's actually uh still relevant with a large amount of the people who's helped me uh, ease into my transition and moving here I'm really thankful to have met most of you in this room Um, but it oh yeah except for Kyle (laughs) biggest regret of my life (laughs) Um, and so I just spent a large part of my time writing that off writing off myself and it's taken a large amount of time for me to go you know what Sonic is cool, but Tails is a genius and he can fly. (laughs) You know, there's all sorts of things. I tried to think of a metaphor for Zelda, but no, Link is the coolest person in that game. (laughs) I could be a Pona, but that doesn't really work. (laughs) And I don't really have a good button or a good comedic end. This is just what I felt games have done to me and done to an entire generation. And even though... We love them. You have to step back and even your fluff fun, you have to really analyze what it's doing to you and how it's making you think. And that's why I have for you this month.
0: That's some real talk. I'm going to let you guys in on a secret of mine. I was, I was your friend in high school. I remember there's this girl I liked, and she told me, oh, I just started drumming. So here's what went through my head. I'm like, who's the best drummer? Keith Moon, obviously. So I got... Uh, that's true. That's still true. Don't wait, fight wait. me on that. So I got her, I got her a Who Greatest Hits CD, and I, I gave it to her. I'm like, yes, now she will totally date me because she has this 18-track CD. She didn't. <laughs> FYI. No, that's good. She shouldn't have. You shouldn't reinforce me like that. Thank you for sharing, Nate. Uh, Coming up next, Ms. Lauren Rodriguez. Um,
3: So I have to say, when I was in high school, I was in speech and drama. And my coach, who coached me kind of for both, had this rule that used to say, like, when you were doing a story or you were doing a monologue, like, you couldn't sit. So I grew up in that notion of, like, oh, no, like, never sit because you're going to, like, lose something in that. So in the sake of that, I'm going to sit, while I read this story. And I, I kind of feel like growing up, there's a lot of things that are like that. Like you grow up either in response of the people that you look up to and either accept what they're giving you or not accept it and kind of fight against it. Um, and that's kind of what my story is about. Uh, last month, I talked about like a list of things that are true about me. And one that met with an interesting kind of backlash was the fact that I talk during movies. Um, And interestingly enough, like, I had this moment of like, no, like, let me defend that. Like, there's actually a really good reason why. But it went against the point of that story. Today's um, theme is game, which actually is the reason why I talk during movies is a game. Time's up. (laughs) Um, So the game that I used to play when I was little was with my mom. And when things were not going so great at home she would take uh, myself and her to a place that was magical and beautiful and she used to take us to the theater. Um, Sometimes it was live theater and sometimes it was movies and obviously like the easiest place to go would be the movies and she had this game that was fantastic for lots of reasons and the game was to ruin the movie for the person sitting next to you, um, which was fantastic. Um, so we would sit there and play this game and she'd kick my butt like all the time because she was so good. My mom is a third gener- second generation English teacher. I am now a third generation English teacher. So obviously as like a seven year old wasn't getting, you know, like the what was going to happen next. But for the, that two and a half, maybe three, three and a half when we saw Lord of the Rings, like for those hours, we were the only people in that theater. And I grew up with kind of a complex about my older brother, which I think most people do. Like, I thought he was the favorite, and he got everything. But during that time, he wasn't. And I was. Like, we had this bond, and she totally ruined so many good movies for me. Like, so many good ones. Like, Pearl Harbor. That, like, that was, yes, that's a good movie. Oh, my God, I know! I know. If you haven't seen it, watch it, but not with my what mom. Pearl Harbor? <laughs> <laughs> we'll They're talk. Wait, did not make a sequel? <laughs> <laughs> not yet, thank you. Not yet. Oh God. Uh, um, any M night Shyamalan movie was absolutely ruined. Uh, Fight Club, ruined. She got that like nothing. She was always able to tell me at the beginning of the movie what was gonna happen at the middle and the end of the movie. And seeing these movies now, like it's kind of like if you've ever seen a, first, a movie for the first time on a first date, whenever you see that movie again, it has like this visceral effect, either positive or negative. And a lot of those movies, I can't, I don't think I, I can watch the same way, especially a movie like Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan is a fantastic movie. Cannot watch it now because that was the first time that I had like, such a reaction to it that I was shouting things out. Um, in the movie theater. And I was, at that time, really young. Probably should not have been seeing at that time. Um, But I remember that to get me to stop yelling things out, my mom told me, like, if you keep yelling things out, we're not going to play this game anymore. And I stopped talking because of that. A lot of the things that I learned during that time, like, obviously I learned the rules. The rules of plot, the rules of a movie, and the rules of a play, or any piece of literature. And the thing that I absolutely loved about those rules is that every movie always followed them. Like the good people were always gonna win. And if the good people weren't gonna win, you knew. Like you knew as you were watching the movie, like, oh no, this is not that movie. You know, like in Pan's lab with perfect example. Like you knew, well, I don't want to ruin movies now. But you know like what's gonna happen because you know what kind of movie that is. And I thought growing up that life was gonna be that way. That you would always know. And I still think that, for better or for worse, life is that way. There are still signs that you can follow and you kind of can figure out things as you're going along the way. And whether or not you choose to follow them is kind of up to you. Uh, The bane of my existence is that in books and movies no one will ever listen to me. Like, I know. I know the rules. And I know what's going to happen. And I know in specific what they should do. And they never do those things. And then they always like are sad and shocked that those things went bad, but I knew. Like I was the one. Like if they would just let me ride it or just let me talk to them, like I knew. And I kind of feel like life is that way. Like we yell when she opens the door to go down to the basement. And we're mad when they flag down that car because those guys are bad, like obviously. And we yell and we scream and they never listen, but they still have to open that door and they still have to flag down that car. And in the end, I feel like we are the ones yelling at ourselves, and we just don't listen. Like when you know, when you have a choice between two things, you know, and I think that I do as well. If you would just follow those patterns, then you could follow it through. Yes, I talk during movies, and yes, that is kind of annoying, but I kind of feel upon reflection that it's something that I never want to give up about myself because it is one of those things that I inherited as a child and don't want to fight against. Um, And I guess that the real goal of that game was never really to ruin the movie, which I, I kind of think the real goal of the game in the end is to find the truth in the text. Because even though we don't want her to open the door, the reason she does it is because she's afraid. And I think that there's a lot of truth in that. And I kind of feel like every time I write a story and I come up to tell it, like the moments that I'm like writing it and deciding what I'm going to tell are super scary. But I still have to open that door. And I hope that you guys will, too.
4: Thank you, Lauren.
0: I was going to say, if you want a story where characters listen to you, you should write yourself into a story. All the greats have done it. Grant Morrison an Animal Man, etc.
4: Um, let's
0: get, let's get uh, Kyle Talley up here.
5: Um, first and foremost, I want to apologize sincerely to the teachers in the audience uh, for kids like me and for myself. Um, so... I don't like to talk about my high school experiences that much. Mostly because I'm afraid of being seen as one of those people who peaked in high school. One of, one of those folks who can't seem to escape the glory days of their high school years. But maybe I am. You see, uh, I'm a minority among my geeky brethren here. I had a really great high school experience. Or at least, I thought I did in high school. <laughs> to me, school was a game. It wasn't about learning or getting good grades, it was about socializing and seeing how far I could push my teachers in the system. I realized early on that I could get away with a lot, almost anything, if I was well spoken and funny. I I know I probably sound like a sociopath, but I, I would examine teachers for weakness on the first day of class just to see the limits of what I could get away with. I'm not really sure where the mindset came from. I was raised by incredibly loving and supportive parents who wanted me to work hard. I I think it might have come from an admiration of T.J. Detweiler from Disney's Recess, (laughs) but I'm not sure. Regardless, I got away with far too much. My senior year, I had 48 absences and 65 tardies. All excused. That same year, I was elected homecoming king. I would skip class to go hang out with friends in other classes, and the teachers would allow it. I would eat at all four lunch periods, and I was allowed to drop Spanish class and become an office aide, you know, one of the people who takes uh, notes from the office to classes, because I had beef with a, the teacher of that Spanish class, and the administration sided with me. I had to write an English paper, a 3,000-word paper for, to pass English my senior year. Instead of writing the paper, I drew three pictures, and underneath it wrote, <laughs> each are worth a thousand words. <laughs> and I got an A. <laughs> I graduated with an advanced diploma, which is meaningless, but I, I, even though my GPA was way too low, and I didn't receive the approved language credit... <laughs> And this is from one of the top 100 school districts in the country. Oh. Now, now, before you think I'm just bragging, understand that to me this is lamenting. You see, because I BS'd my way through high school, when I graduated, I had nothing. I didn't get into college because my GPA was a 1.5. So when all my peers went off to their four-year schools, I was stuck at home living with my parents. When I went to community college it kicked my butt because I had no idea how to study or write a paper or take notes and though I did get into a four-year college eventually it took a lot of work was, was something I wasn't used to and I'm, I'm embarrassed now because I took advantage of the system and I took advantage of my parents and I took advantage of some really great teachers and I cheated myself out of a good education I thought I was playing a game but Turned out, I was only playing myself. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. That's a good message to all the youth out there. It's weird that we have a
0: wholesome Your story. stories. Um, since I, I think I know the answer to this, Kyle, what was your essay about, your photo essay? Um,
5: the, 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 it, was, it had to be a comparative uh, essay f- for Hamlet, and mm-hmm. so I compared in stick figure drawings, uh, the G.I. Joe cartoon movie, yep. and Hamlet <laughs> yep. in three dynamic yeah. style
0: pictures. I hope you got in the part where Sergeant Slaughter goes crazy. That's, <laughs> That's the best part. Alright guys, we're gonna do two more stories, then we're
6: gonna take a short break. Mr. Sawyer, happy. Yeah. Alright guys, I've played a lot of RPGs in my time. I was a late bloomer, didn't really pick it up until uh, college. Uh, But I've been trying this new one as about six months ago. Um, It's called OKCupid. I can take down demons, dragons, trolls, any monster you throw at me, but OKCupid is a very difficult system. Um, I did Match.com for a while, but it was a little imbalanced and the villains were too strong, so. Um, But the important, uh, there's one important ingredient when it comes to uh, playing an RPG, as we all know. And that would be your character sheet. So I'm now going to read for you, hoping I'm not going to regret this, my character sheet in OKCupid. Okay <laughs> All right. That's why ice cream stores don't just sell chocolate and vanilla. Every once in a while, someone walks in and orders butter pecan. Uh, that's a quote, actually, from my, one of my favorite uh, Justice League graphic novels called Identity Crisis. Uh, I'm sure you're tired of seeing the... (laughs) Oh, just wait. Um, I'm sure you're tired of seeing the infamous hard-to-talk-about-myself on these things, but let's be honest, you don't want to come off like a tool. So here's a list of things about me, and maybe I'm what you're looking for, smiley face. I I like a dorky girl who's completely comfortable with herself. I love comic books, movies, and anything with a sense of adventure. Fiction's always more exciting. I want to travel someday and just see everything the world has to offer. I want to be a film actor more than anything. You know, a solid career.
4: <laughs>
6: I host a geeky podcast called O.C. Dweeb, giving you all the need-to-knows uh, in the geeky Chicago, uh, area of Chicago. Your heart be still, I know. I'm a Catholic, born and raised. Gotta believe in something bigger than what's in front of you. I w- <laughs> I will, it's not, it doesn't help that I'm making fun of myself. Okay. Uh, I will do anything for my friends because that's what friends should do. My superpower is patience. I have an obscene amount of it, but I hulk out every now and then. Tongue out, emoticon. Uh, <laughs> I have a weird love for the Wizard of Oz, no judging. I'm secretly Batman, don't tell anyone. I come from a family of five kids and nearly 22 cousins who gather together when they can and have taught me so much more than I know. I want a big family of my own one day, uh, but I don't want to rush into that bit. Uh, I cry at cheesy things, hand to God. I'm ridiculously awkward, but some find it endearing. Lastly, I came to this site because I'm genuinely looking for a nice girl for someone that I can love and support and someone who shows me the same I end up chasing after the wrong girls and I know that it has helped me find the right ones Uh, Recognizing what I don't want I should proofread my stuff before I put it on a public domain (laughs) 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 Recognizing what I don't want has helped me recognize what I do If you're a girl with a big heart that hopefully mine can match it Now that I... Oh, I, I, apparently that was the end of that thought. Uh, uh, now, that, now that I've gathered about myself, uh, I would like to hear from you. So write me a line. Let me know if you'd like to get coffee something. Maybe we'd hit it off. Uh, we'll skip ahead, too, because I'm probably short on time. Uh, first things people u- usually notice about me. Bear in mind, I have not touched this since I made it about six months back. I'm very outgoing and talkative. People don't believe me that I can be shy at first because my dynamic personally... Personality normally outweighs that once I get comfortable. My sincerity is typically followed by my loyalty. I stick by my friends, for better or for worse. We can skip over books and television, because let's be honest. Uh, Things I could never do without. Sadly, I'm addicted to technology. My phone, computer, tablet, TV, internet. Sounds stupid, but I love staying very active with all the things that they have to offer. Above all things, I think I would be nothing without faith. Not just religious, but belief in something that's bigger than what's in front of me. Chance and hope are what keep me going. Saving the best for last, my family, both by blood and by bond. Those who I share DNA with, and those who are so close they could be like brothers and sisters. I spend a lot of time thinking about, hard to pick one thing, my mind wanders like a child. I'd say the biggest things I've always going over my head is a good story idea. I love writing for anything and everything, screenplays, sketches, films, and even comic books at a time. I'm a huge geek if you haven't picked up on that yet so I'm always considering some sort of nerdy, nerdy outlet in my brain. I will skip right down here. Message me if you are fun, dorky, goofy, smart, funny, or any kind of interesting. I really like a girl who's comfortable with who she is and knows what she wants. However, I know we have all of our insecurities, so if you... If, however, I know we all have insecurities, so if you would like to meet me, don't hesitate. You got nothing to lose. Smiley face.
4: <laughs>
6: Parentheses, don't let my nerddom scare you off. Also have the power to turn invisible once a day. <laughs> All right. And that's my profile. <laughs> Thanks, dude. I'll, I'll say this I about OKCupid.
0: Okay, <laughs> oh, yeah. You'd, we'd like to, Is <laughs> yeah. to <laughs> I'll, I'll post a link on the podcast site for people who want to <laughs> read more. Uh, I'll say OKCupid is really dangerous I feel like from a a comedy standpoint Because every time I'm on there I want to make the really easy joke That looking for dates is like looking for a job Because OKCupid makes it so easy Like I would love to do an experiment Where I send out one resume a day and one message a day And see who gets back to me with a promising answer first (laughs) I really don't know I wonder how it would go
6: it's going to be a really depressing day. A <laughs> month. Yeah. Six months. Years. <laughs> anyway,
0: we're going to close out the first half with Ms. Marnie Thompson.
7: Um, Lauren's story was actually very... Uh, dovetails nicely, kind of, because I just recently took a leaf of my own um, and opened that door, even though everything was screaming at me not to. Because... Um, Everybody makes the joke, like, oh, the game of life is so realistic. Like, two kids and a spouse and a mortgage and a car. Like, that's really what it's all about. And for a long time, for me, that was what it was all about. That's what I was striving for. Um, you know, it was expected of me to go to college and find a job and settle down and uh, also give my parents the grandkids that they relied on me to provide. Um, when I was in middle school, my mom was talking about what we should do with all the baby clothes in the basement, and my dad very pointedly looked at me, not my brother, but me, he's like, maybe we should keep them around for the future. I was like, oh, <laughs> jeez, I'm 12. <laughs> That's pretty heavy. Uh, so, so I went to college, and I got a nice apartment and grown-up job in my field, a um, study, and then after about two years there, I realized I did not want to move up in this industry. I saw the management there, and You know, being there 14 hours a day, six days a week, you know, under constant scrutiny and pressure and observation from the higher-ups, and that was just not the life that I wanted. Um, But being a line-level employee was also terrible. Uh, The scrutiny and stress that the managers were under transferred to us, and I became unnecessarily burdened by work that I was no longer challenged by or really even interested in anymore. Um, And so, after three years total, I left. And I decided, yes, I'm going to do something creative, something I can you know, work with my hands and really allow me to share what I know with others. Because um, I like teaching, not always in a traditional like, classroom sense, because unless I'm up there to lecture, like, sometimes it just becomes difficult for me to express my thoughts clearly. Um, but I decided to leave and see you know, what else I could do to help people um, in a different way, like people that could really benefit. Um, not overprivileged wealthy people that could spend a thousand dollars a night on a suite, because uh, that's what I did before. And don't get me wrong, like revenue from them was what kept me around. Um, I comprised my paycheck every other week. But if I ever had the resources to do such a thing, and I gained that much money in my life, just smack me, because it could go to such a better cause. <laughs> uh, and the thing is, so that like although I quit the corporate world kept calling back to me. Um, and I recently went on an interview to what I once would have considered to be like my dream job. It was um, an event planning assistant in a fine dining restaurant in the Loop. And I accepted the interview, um, even though going to it, I had these nagging thoughts like, this is what you just got out of. What are you doing getting back into it? But I was looking forward to it you know, despite all of that. Um, but during the interview, talking with the manager, I realized I don't want to be here. I, I like dressing up, but I hate having to put on this mask that I need to do to do my job properly. Because um, the corporate environment just really stripped away any sense of self that I once felt I had. Um, however, I desperately wanted a job that would give me the 9-to-5 the schedule that my friends had. Um, and so, you know, so I thought that I could have a good work-life balance. Um, but in order to balance, if my working side was me, you know, feeling completely overburdened, and I'm exhausted, and doing what I hate, then my personal life side, in order to balance that out, has to be like, I'm in total bliss and ecstasy, every waking moment, like my life couldn't be better. And then maybe somehow those two sides would even out. Um, But that's so beyond the realm of realistic. It's like you're playing Sweet Valley High, and then the first time (laughs) around, you get your bikini, and you find your bathing suit and your, uh, your beach towel, and you get your boyfriend, Winston Egbert, on uh, the first try, like who does that? Nobody does that. It's impossible. It takes an hour. Uh, and so, um, so what I want to be, and I've actually just accepted this job, is that I'm going to be a kids yoga teacher. And, uh, and so, oh no, um, I'm just really excited about it. <laughs> this is so silly. <laughs> I start this week and it's, it's something I'm doing that like, I'm really proud that I, I'm going to be able to do this and just like really own it and because like who you choose to be and what you choose to do can be so different from one another and so I just, uh, I needed to take a step back and uh, realize I'm a human being, not a human doing.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Let's bring up Sarah Schieber first.
4: Okay,
8: so I'm going to start by saying, if you start to learn how to play a stringed instrument in grade school, pretty much one of the first songs you learn how to play is Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Uh, This is, at least in our school district, everyone learned this. And this is because it's a very basic song, and you can kind of do a lot of variations on it. And so it's a good way to teach kids uh, rhythm, syncopation, playing around with stuff, kind of introducing musicality at an early stage. And that was the first time kind of in a really academic setting that someone had been like, hey, you're not just gonna learn something, you know, cut and dry, but this is the bones of something and you can give life to it in your own way. Uh, Going on to be an English major, I took that to heart. Around this same time, my parents got my sister and I both Game Boys that we were only allowed to play in the car. I'm not really sure what the reasoning was. Um, I guess we were going to rot our brains less. <laughs> so, but because of that, you know, we had really limited playtime. Um, usually, you know, like 10 minutes at a time. I could never really get into the long story game type games. So. I played things more like uh, Pokemon. Uh, I did well with that, and <laughs>
4: yeah, <laughs> thank you, Dwight. Red and blue.
8: <laughs> I was red, Pokemon Red. It was both. <laughs> <laughs> so, the other one that I played a lot was Tetris.
4: Woo! woo! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bold woo, <move> there, guys.
8: <laughs> <laughs> so the song that goes along with Tetris is iconic to say the least Um, and once again it's very simple theme and in that it's genius because it can kind of speed up and follow along with the game however um, I always found the music kind of demonically chipper at my imminent demise (laughs) You don't win Tetris. You just keep struggling until you lose. And it's just how long you can struggle.
1: Right? Yeah, exactly.
8: As Chris Crotwell just said, it's like life. And I always felt like the music did not adequately reflect this Because, you know, you start out and, yeah, sure, it's great. This is going well. I'm going to do really well this time. Then you mess up. And you say, no, no, I can get it back. (sighs) And then you don't get it back, (laughs) and you just keep getting more and more lines, and you're kind of sad about it, and you get to a point where, yeah, I can just keep letting the blocks fall, or I'm going to just fight until the bitter end, and it's going to look horrible, but I'm going to keep trying to line up those little blocks until the screen tells me I'm done. Uh, So... In the spirit of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, I hope you guys could indulge me in reinterpreting the song a bit to the level of pathos that I thought a little more appropriate (laughs) (laughs) to go along with this.
0: Your Stories is sponsored by the Chicago sketch comedy troupe The Nerdalogs, and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago. The stories you heard have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. Special thanks to Sean Patrick Boyle for his help with recording. Our theme song comes from the band State shirt. For more information on The Nerdalogs, your stories, and everything else, go to www.nerdalogs.com.